Welcome to the Simply Youth Podcast, where the U in youth stands for you. Join us in chatting with some of the most successful Lebanese figures. Follow in their footsteps to write your own story. Simply Youth Podcast every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more platforms. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Simply Youth Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. He's an international practicing lawyer since 2004. He's also a managing partner at Zbib Law & Associates, which is a major regional law firm working in more than 16 countries. He's also the founder of the Development Association for Nurturing Arab Leadership and Innovation. He's also a legal consultant with a UN ESQA, and he's been a university lecturer in business and law for 15 years. Please welcome Ali Zbib. Thank you very much, Abdi. Thank you for being here. So we're going to start with the first question. You come from a family where a career in law is very common and expected from you. Did you feel any pressure to study law or was it a personal choice? First, let me start this with uh, applauding you and your partner for starting this initiative. I think it's uh, of vast importance for individuals your age to be uh, taking part in awareness raising because this is a part of advocacy that the community really needs. So bravo again. Uh, to, re- to answer your question, actually, uh, I wouldn't say that it, it's, it's common for members of my family to study law rather than I have been raised in a house where laws and regulations represented justice and did not represent the text. So seeing my growing up and seeing my father going to court every day, uh, seeing my uncle becoming a lawyer, made me fall in love more and more with the profession, primarily because my father, when I was young, and this is the same thing that I'm currently doing with my son, used to make sure that I do a lot of reading, used to make sure that I understand the concept of justice and how important it is to defend the less fortunate people. So I didn't have what mostly young people would go through in terms of not being being extremely sure of what career to pursue. When I was 15 years old, when I was a kid, I I wanted to be an astronaut, which is 99% of the Lebanese toddlers when they're they start wanting to be an astronaut because we we're not aware at that age that we are in a country that cannot even secure the basic needs for its people such as electricity so we thought that astronauts can be Lebanese at the time when I grew a bit I understood that law was a passion when I was 14 years old I decided this is what I wanted to do And the moment I graduated from school, I was ready to hit law school. I I started law school first year, which is the year that most of the the students drop. Uh, I excelled and I loved it. I ranked first five amongst 1,600 students. And uh, all through the major, I was falling more and more into the concept of justice. I graduated in 2002-2003 and I immediately traveled to London where I underwent, I sat for my LLM, Master of Laws in Banking and Finance Laws. 
and I, it taught me new horizons because I had the opportunity to discover the Anglo-Saxon law rather than in addition to the Latin law that we learn in Lebanon. This took me uh, to a whole new level and I got introduced to the concept which is called Kaizen in Japanese, meaning continuous development. In addition to that, I was under the extreme conviction that the person should never stop learning. And this was said by major figures in history, whether they were social figures, religious figures, academic figures. And this, one of, this was another reason which pushed me to pursue another a master's in legal philosophy and a PhD from London in banking and finance laws and economic integration. So the academic part was extremely important to create a certain research comfort zone for me. All along the way, I had one goal, and this is my motto, that justice should be always prioritized. And it's not about laws and regulations and how we interpret the text. It's rather how we implement justice from an expert's point of view, from an eagle eye. So yes, being a lawyer was something I've always wanted, but I took the legal practice in my family to a whole new level, whereby uh, the first generation in my, in my family concentrated more on the local perspective of the law, whereby the Lebanese lawyer knows everything and takes all cases. And we all know that the master, uh, that the jack of all trades is a master of none. So I believed in specialization and I've started and I still advocate on daily basis the need for Lebanese lawyers and Lebanese judges to become specialized in what they do. Because it's, it's, a, it's very dangerous in Lebanon that if you need a lawyer, if you have any type of case, whether it was corporate, commercial, banking, real estate, personal status, any type of, of, of case, you would go to the same lawyer. No lawyer has the mental capacity to comprehend and materialize every single legal field in his mind. It's very important that each lawyer, each legal individual, whether it, whether it was a lawyer or a judge, specialize and work in his specialty. And this is exactly why I have chosen to be an expert in banking and finance and corporate and commercial laws. And I've chosen to manage a firm with eight different departments. So if someone knocks our door, we don't say we don't know we'd say you will be referred to the relevant department and we are always willing to learn more. And this was a very important step for our expansion throughout the world. Exactly, law feels like it has like infinite horizons. So what kind of new concentrations in law do you feel are of the utmost importance in today's market? Well, it's a good question coming from you because if you look at maybe 90% or more of the lawyers, not in Lebanon, but in the Arab region, you'll easily realize that the new concepts have not been incorporated into the, uh, into the academic 
uh, academic textbooks or uh, into the, uh, the curricula. So you don't find enough about technology law, about internet law, about alternative dispute resolution, uh, in ter uh, uh, well, what I'm saying, distance alternative dispute resolution. The COVID-19 has changed the way people think, has changed the legal practice. And we have figured out that if you are not up to date with the technology, you will not be able to operate disregarding the field that you are in. So yes, there is a lack of specialization during the apprenticeship period for lawyers. There is a lack of specialization during the apprenticeship period for judges. There are so many extremely important and wild and wide fields of law, such as the ones I mentioned, in addition to international construction contracts, such as the FIDIC, the PPP, public-private partnership laws, as I said, the internet laws, everything related to technology law, the e-signatures, the banking and finance laws, not the ones only found in the textbooks, but the ones which should be incorporated and which should be migrated from the actual banking and finance practice. All those are lacking and definitely the Middle East and North Africa region, in addition or including Lebanon, need to have a more robust and solid framework to introduce these texts and create a more specialized legal environment to be able to better provide a legal service for the clients slash citizens. In what terms do you feel that the Lebanese law currently is outdated and does not like integrate basic technological advancements? The Lebanese law has been copied from the French code. The only difference is that the French continuously update their law, while in Lebanon, we have continuous resistance and hesitation in changing our texts and doing the right thing. Certain, the problem in Lebanon is not the lack of laws, it's the lack of implementation of the laws. So the first problem would be that a large number of legal texts need revamping, need updating, and some need cancellation. And this is not being done as it should be. The second problem is even the good laws and even the adequate laws are not being implemented simply because, and this is the main concept that you need to think of, there is no rule of law. Lebanon does not have a rule of law. Lebanon is a sectarian confessionalist state based on nepotism and favoritism stemmed from political families and not giving any priority to the actual patriotic spirit of the citizen, which makes the citizen a servant and is served at the same time. Yes, honestly, like most Lebanese youth not believe we live in like a democratic country because some because of corrupt judicial system in most cases and the absence of a like good governance and a rule of law. Like ever since the economic crisis last year, we've seen all the po poverty rates going up, unemployment going up. So how do you feel 
but implementing capital control laws since day one would have mitigated the repercussions of such disaster. Definitely, capital control laws, which many people in Lebanon do not understand, are of vital importance at the very beginning of a crisis, of a financial, fiscal, economic crisis. If they legislated and they passed a capital control law now, it's going to be too late. It's going to impact uh, most of the Lebanese people, including the individuals who are in a real need for certain limited international transfers. However, I was one of the experts who was screaming at the very beginning of the crisis that we need a capital control law to be passed as soon as possible within 24 hours of the beginning of the crisis, which is, you know, mostly by 18 or 19 October, to make sure that no money gets out of the country because we are living in a capitalist liberal system whereby uh, transferring money abroad is not a crime except if you are a pep, a politically exposed person, so a public servant, a person who has to do with public service. This pep should be under a different, should be subject to a different set of laws in terms of his non-ability and, la and, and, uh, and lack of freedom in terms of making the transfers simply because he's a public servant. So if they've listened at the very beginning and passed a capital control laws, then this capital flight that happened outside in, in, in less than a month, which made the economy bleed and which made dollars scarce in the country would not have happened. But again, I tell you, the rule of law is on the very top of the pyramid. And when you don't have a rule of law, and when you have a politicized judicial system, then the political parties and their heads as accomplices for religious, uh, uh, religious high figures work hand in hand with the banking system, with other what I call kleptocratic individuals. And I think the non-passing of the capital control laws was a main aim for the kleptocrats who are being simply defended by the oligarchs. To explain more, kleptocracy is the group of people, politicians and else, with loads of money and power who control a country. The oligarchs are similar to that, but not all of them uh, have to have money. An oligarch, the oligarchs may be protected by less fortunate peoples, by low-level public servants, and so many other members of the community. Lebanon is the best example of kleptocracy protected by oligarchy. Yes, exactly. They, they exploited their political position, their governmental position, in order to use public funds for their own interests. So now recently, Bonk Bon has released a new circular that's very interesting for Lebanese youth. It's limited the transfers for educational purposes abroad to $10,000 annually. Is such a circular legal given that students have a huge financial burden and the amount of money only covers a fraction of expenses and ignores people that do not have an account in US dollars? The problem extends much more than that. First of all, the Lebanese people have been saving 
in their bank accounts in Lebanon with the main purpose to have a better life, primarily to secure a proper education for their children. The Lebanese people have ended up in their money being withheld at the banks and their sons or daughters being, being abroad, not having enough to pay for their tuition fees, their, to, uh, the, their, their rental fees, as well as their day-to-day -day needs. Now, the problem is not with the, uh, with the circulaire, which has provided less than the amount needed. The problem is that during the last year, and in a very unprecedented manner, we have witnessed that the banks have lost their respect for the Banque de Liban circulaires. So the Central Bank of Lebanon is the sole regulator and he should be the, it should be the entity which the banks respect most without any type of debate. Regrettably, we have seen the banks caring less about Central Bank circulaire and we have seen the banks in a completely different mode whereby they have just decided to apply what is convenient for them and to forget about what is not what is inconvenient for them so my fear is that even with this lacking circular some of the banks might not even transfer the $10,000 but recently the central bank has threatened uh, local banks in order to increase their foreign reserves to a certain amount, otherwise they would be forced to liquidate. So would this solution help the banking sector to flourish again, or will it just not be beneficial? I think I have the same answer for you, is that the Central Bank of Lebanon and its governor were so late in implementing the actual banking code, whereby it gives the permission for the Central Bank uh, to impose certain sanctions, beginning by warning and ending by putting control over the bank and replacing its management. All this has not uh, all this have not been done previously, which led to the banks not respecting the central bank circulars. As a result, there's also another fear that the banks might not call on or might not. Might, might call on the bluff of the central bank and they might gamble that the central bank will not implement their uh, its threats. Uh, so how will the process of forensic auditing help find the gaps in the Lebanese financial systems given that Banque du Liban usually only publishes a bi-weekly vague report on its assets and liabilities? Forensic auditing is extremely important. Forensic auditing has never been done in Lebanon. Uh, the main difference between regular auditing and forensic auditing is that in regular auditing, it's a pure accounting uh, movement whereby you check the inflows and outflows, you match them and you report them. Forensic auditing has to do with all the suspected activities, primarily with the politically exposed persons, and it has a very important uh, detail of traceability. So basically, forensic auditors are authorized by the government and by the banks to follow an account and to see where has it been transferred, 
who's the beneficial owner, to what countries, and who is the ultimate owner, the UBO, the ultimate beneficial owner, to know whether there's a situation of conflict of interest, nepotism, favoritism, basically corruption. So what has been clear to us that the main political figures in Lebanon will do everything in their capacity to prevent the forensic auditing because the individuals and the companies that will definitely be incriminated belong directly to these political figures. The forensic auditing will show the amounts of money that has been that have been transferred outside Lebanon will show other uh, uh, other public services provided to uh, the country and uh, what's the financial status for certain contractors in charge of the companies that have been implementing these public services. In a summary, forensic auditing is the first extreme and important step to start finding the real criminals that have been operating and controlling this country for 50 years, if not more. Also, Lebanon has attempted to attain a, an IMF bailout. However, it would come with a huge price tag. So how would the IMF reforms, especially with austerity and banking regulations, uh, help Lebanon recover? IMF has different kinds of program. So the first is technical assistance, which is unconditional. And Lebanon is entitled for this service for free since Lebanon is a member of the International Monetary Fund and pays a membership fee. The second one would be a rapid credit facility, which means that Lebanon would ask the IMF for up to $4 billion with certain conditions to be executed. The extreme one is a, is a, is an, uh, is a long credit facility. Uh, uh, which is which is the opposite of a rapid credit facility, and basically this one is extremely challenging. Could bring up could bring the country to over ten billion dollars, but this could be destructive for the country. Of course, Lebanon's quota is about eight hundred and sixty billion a million dollars, uh, m- m- around a billion, and this can be provided by the uh, by the IMF with no much sweat. However. To, go, to, to try to get an IMF program and get a few billions of dollars, then Lebanon must, is under a non-negotiable uh, obligation to start introducing certain uh, very uh, inevitable and important reforms. What we have seen throughout the last year, which has uh, witnessed the uprising of the people, that the kleptocrats who are currently in uh, in the government, I mean, and I'm saying the political status is not willing to change. And these people that have been controlling the Lebanese and Lebanon are not willing to make any compromises, right? So from that perspective, it becomes uh, extremely challenging to, uh, to, to, to be able to think that the International Monetary Fund is going to provide Lebanon with a program if they are not guaranteeing the volatility of the money. The the volatility of the money is an economic term used by international uh, uh, financial institutions that lend money to countries, whereby they need to make sure that this money remains volatile 
and it's going to come back to the IFI, the International Financial Institution, in order for the IFI to be able to give it to another country and try to help another country from recovering from its economic crisis. So we have reached the 100th anniversary of Great Lebanon. What kind of immediate reforms do we need in order to become a democratic and economically stable country? Yeah, that's, that's definitely not a question that can be answered in a half an hour interview because that probably needs a few hours uh, since the number of reforms that we need is enormous. The only thing I can say is that the implementation of the law paralleled with independent judiciary is the first and foremost and most important step to start with in case we need to start the new Lebanon. So that's the last question. So thank you a lot. Honestly, it was an amazing conversation. Thank you, Hadi and Mahmoud. Thank Good luck you for your all your future endeavors. And if you need anything else, please don't spare me. Thank you so much.